So Luke chapter 1, verses 57 uh, to 80. Here we go. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbours. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In Luke 2, uh, 1 to 20. Don't be tricked, it's not December. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, And the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told, told them. Thanks, John. Well, good morning, everyone, again. Yeah, just seeing if you're awake. Yep, we're good. Great. Um, let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we pray as we open your word, as we continue our time of worship as a church, that your spirit will make it come alive, not just to our heads, but to our hearts as well. And Lord Jesus, may it be for your fame and for your glory, in your name, amen. If I asked you a question, and it's, it's a, probably a tough question to answer at 11.30 in the morning for some of us, we're probably still waking up, but if I asked the question, what is the purpose of your life, how would you answer it? What, why do you exist? Why are you here on this earth? For some of us, it might be simple that particularly in the parenting stage, we are here and we exist for our kids. We are here to serve them, love them, provide for them. If we're not married or have kids, we're in this stage of life where we're trying to figure out what is my purpose in life? What kind of job do I do? What career am I going to have? Am I going to get married? Am I going to stay single? All these things go through our hearts and mind. But the question we all need to answer at some point is, why do we exist? What's the purpose of our lives? Why do we have breath in our lungs? Last week we began this journey in the Gospel of Luke. And I hope if you haven't had a chance, you've had time to sort of listen to it or read it. And I would continue to encourage you to, to sort of chew on this Gospel. It's a beautiful, glorious Gospel. So what's happened, just to kind of catch up on speed again, is that this orderly account is before us. And this is uh, Luke, the author, is writing to Theophilus, who's listening or reading this himself, this letter. And he's been taught, he's been reminded again, the things that he's been taught are reliable, they're true. You can trust these things. And last week we were uh, unpacking this announcement of two births. One was the birth of uh, John the Baptist, that he was going to come and who he is and what he was going to do, but also the birth of Jesus. And we were also reflected on this reality, that we rest in a God who is the God of the impossible. The God does not know what it means uh, to deal with impossible things because he is the God who makes it possible. And how do we know that? In the most glorious way he's showed us that, hasn't he? We were lost. How could we be saved? It almost seems impossible. And he sends his son and says, yes, it is possible because I'll do it. So this week we come up to the stage where uh, it's the announcement has happened uh, that John will be born and so will Jesus. And we are coming to the stage when they are physically arriving in this earth. In verses 57 to 66, we are told of John the Baptist and his birth. We're told about what's going on. Now, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're good Jewish parents. Zechariah is a priest. He's, a, uh, he's part of the priestly order. That's his job. He's following tradition as required. He's the firstborn son, this John. And there's also the reality that John was probably going to be uh, following in the footstep of his dad, as was a, a custom of that time maybe to take over the role of Zechariah. 
That was the plan that the parents might have thought or the people around them thought that's what this son is going to be doing. And it was the tradition of the time that you would give the son, the father's name, Zoe, would be Zachariah number two. But remember how last week we were told that this name, John, is actually not something that the parents came up with. It is something that the angel gave that message. So it was from God himself. And it was a message of grace even in John's name. So there's an argument flares up there. Relatives are arguing and talking over going, who are you calling him John for? There's no relative of ours called John. You should call him Zachariah. And so Zachariah steps up. He can't speak, remember? He can't say a word because at that moment when he said to the angel, I'm old, and so he couldn't believe at that time. And said, for this long time, till the conception, till this moment of birth, he can't say a word who this child is. And so he does some charades and he writes the name down of John. And in that moment, what is Zachariah's response? Is it to say, oh, finally, can you give me a glass of water? I've been very dry. I've been trying to say that to you for a long time. No, his first response is to bless God, to worship God, because what God has said has come true. And the people around who are listening in and watching this whole thing, they know a miracle has happened. And to the point in verse 66 that they, they're moved. Not only that, there's this language of the whole surrounding area moved. And I wonder, in the context of what's going on here in the stories, so you've got to remember this whole nation, this all group of people have been waiting for a Messiah. And there's almost this sense of this child is unique. Who is this child? And I wonder if they're wondering, is this the Messiah? But like a beautiful story and poem, Zechariah starts to prophesy. He starts to tell the, the purpose of this child. But more importantly, what this child is going to do, he's going to usher in a reality. Now remember, uh, there's this whole idea in verses 67, uh, 67 to 75 is Zechariah's prophecy. He, he starts talking uh, openly about this, uh, this salvation history is what we would call but we've got to remember the background. This is part of God's big story. This is not something that started in the Gospel of Luke. We've been told in prophetic ways through God's word that the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus, what they were going to be here for. And what God was saying is it's quite a divine moment. It's about Jesus and John throughout this gospel, that's this idea, but it's actually coming to this whole Bible story that we've been wrestling with. And we mentioned that last week. But this whole birth of him and John is connected to God's history with a group of people, the people of Israel. And now we're reflecting on that. The announcement's been given. They're waiting in expectation. And a Messiah they're waiting for because it's a very troubled time. This nation, Israel, they're under Roman occupation. They don't like the Romans. They're in their land. They're waiting for this king that has been promised. It's part of God's big story. You can read about it in Abraham, this idea of a promise, a seed, a nation will be blessed. Other nations will be blessed from Abraham, the seed. You can hear about it in Moses where God actually says to Moses, you will be my people and I will be your God. And if you follow me, there'll be blessing. If you don't follow me, curses. But not only that, you will have rest. And if you serve me, but God also said to them, I will protect you. 
And fast forward a few more centuries and King David has promised that out of his own lineage there would come another ruler. But this whole idea of the Messiah. So ever since then, people have been waiting in anticipation for this birth, this arrival. And Zachariah and Liz, Elizabeth and Mary are involved in this. And so it's finally arrived. Fulfillment is happening. You know what? This is amazing. God is now answering the prayers of many generations who have gone before Zechariah and Elizabeth. Many generations crying out. And God is answering because he is the God who keeps his promises. He will deliver what he says. It's a testimony to the people of Israel, to the people there saying, I will provide, I am the God who says, and it will happen. And so we have this great picture from the word go where this idea God is the one who redeems his people. He's going to bring a horn of salvation. It's, it's Old Testament language. It's pointing to the Messiah, the King. Just as God said it would happen. What it's also doing is this idea of a new kingdom coming in. The kingdom of the Messiah. Where he will reign. Now, look. Honestly, there's two points of views on that and how that's going to play out. For some, it's that idea that uh, Jesus will come and he will reign again physically here on this earth. For some, it's this idea that Jesus will reign when he comes back and new earth, new heaven. Either way, don't lose sight of where you sit on that theological fence and this idea of the now and not yet. Wherever you sit, don't lose sight of this clear thing that Jesus will reign. And this whole picture is to say and remind us that the Messiah is coming, the horn of salvation, the one they've been waiting for. Now, can you imagine for, for the dad of John, for this moment? He hasn't been able to say anything. In all the moment, he can say something. And it's a praise, a worship. The Holy Spirit fills him. And we are told that John, the Baptist, has a purpose for his life. And what's his purpose? Well, he's going to be the prophet of the Most High God. Like the old days, that's the language. He's going to announce and usher in. He's going before. He's the one who will prepare the way. That's the purpose that John has. He's been born for that one purpose. That's alluding back to Old Testament passages like in Malachi, in Isaiah, where it talks about a voice crying out in the desert. This is all the prophecies are coming true. Not only that, the purpose of John is to share the truth of salvation and forgiveness of sins. Now, why is John born for this purpose? Is it just because, you know, that's God doing his thing? No, in verse 78, we have these beautiful words. It's because of God's tender mercy, his love. This love or this mercy, it's actually connected to a big word that's throughout the whole Old Testament and it's being played out again. It's this hesed love. It's to say it's God's covenant love and saying that God will love you despite of what you do. I will keep my end of love for you. Never ending, never stopping love. This is why God is doing what he's doing. And in verse 79... There's this idea of the to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
I think this is actually talking about the Messiah. It's actually talking about Jesus. It's talking about this new dawn, this new uh, rising or dawn that's coming into a dark place, into the darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. All of this is uh, committed to this idea that, uh, that the people of the time have been living under a shadow or a shadow of this, this idea of the Mosaic covenant and the laws that they've believed and followed as they expected to do. But there's this promise of it's pointing to the reality of the Messiah coming in and saying he's going to guide everyone out of this darkness and back into a relationship under the loving authority of a loving God. And the whole purpose of John, of why he's here, he's to proclaim this, to proclaim this reality, to proclaim this truth to the Messiah who is to come, to let people know. And along with that, the whole Messiah concept comes in. It says about him being a prophet, he'll prepare the way to give light. And he's pointing back again, connecting back to Jesus in that, that Jesus is the one who will bring peace. That's all of John's purpose. He's going to be a forerunner to, to bring those promises in and to say, hey, listen, the Messiah is coming. Get your hearts ready. That's the purpose of John. This is why he has come, why he's living Friends, when you think about your own life, what is your purpose in life? Why do you exist? Why do I exist? One of the most famous fake boxers around was a guy called Rocky Balboa. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Now, I'm not talking about Rocky V. When Rocky III was really cool, it was the better Rocky. There's this moment in where Rocky is talking to his love of his life, Adrian, and he's about to go into a, a fight with Apollo Creed, who was sort of the big boxer of the time. And he says, oh, come on now, by the way, I'm going to put the quote up. If you're an English teacher, try to close your eyes. You're going to get really annoyed. He says, oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. I was nobody, but that don't matter either, you know, because I was thinking I really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either, because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with the creed, and if I can go that distance, and you see that if, when that bell rings, I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. So Apollo's purpose, his whole existence or Rocky's existence to somehow in this character is to beat Apollo Creed and then he has purpose in his life. He's become the boxer, the number one. Recently I was at a a party and this gentleman was talking to me, he doesn't know Jesus and he heard I was a pastor, and he was just sort of talking to me about a bunch of things. And then he started talking to me. He's, he's well-known in the construction industry, and he was reminding me. Uh, he, I said to him, you know, what do you do? And he tells me about his history in construction, and this is what he's done. And he's worked on the East Link. He's worked on the Westgate Bridge. And he was telling me the story of all the things that he's done. And you can see in his voice, in a sense, that that was his purpose in life. That's why he existed, and that made him someone. Friends, all of us have a desire of purpose in life or a mission in life. But did you know that if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, that your purpose now has shifted completely? You don't actually exist for yourself. You exist 
to represent someone here on this earth. That has now become your purpose in life. To represent the God of the impossible. To represent the God who is the promise-keeping God. To represent the God who has sent us. Now, we are not John the Baptist. We are not of the prophet of the Most High in that kind of language. But we too, through the empty tomb, through the cross, we know that we too have a job. We have been called with this purpose to go and prepare the way because Jesus is coming back again to proclaim the good news. But unlike John, we also have this great picture because we have a risen Savior. We also have a purpose that has been given for those of us who know Jesus that we are being told and encouraged to go and tell people what God has done in the past but what God has done through Jesus and also for the hope there is for those who turn to him. For those who turn to him to guide them into the light, into peace. This is our purpose. Whoever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, your calling is that that has been now your purpose and in light of that, we're called to declare this message, to give the knowledge of salvation wherever God has placed you. Now, it doesn't matter whether if you're a follower of Jesus recently or you've been a follower for many years. That means we've all been given a purpose to talk about the one and then only the Messiah, King Jesus. And who is this King Jesus? Well, let's meet him again. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 14, we have uh, this very famous sort of uh, story of Jesus' birth. Everyone has read about it. People have sung about it. But straight away, we are told in God's big story how, how this fits in. So there's a census that's required of the time. And as they go, Jesus is born. And this is something that has been waiting for. All of history has been waiting for. And if, if you're Theophilus reading this or listening to it, finally you're hearing the promised one has arrived. Jesus is the one. The arrival of the king. A few years ago, there was another famous prince born by the name of baby George, born to William and Kate. Now, I don't know if you uh, saw this picture. This is the press and the paparazzi outside the hospital door waiting to see this new prince, this new heir to the throne. There's a lot of people there because royalty is born. Friends, you know what astounds me to this day is Jesus' birth. He is known as the King of Kings. He is also the Son of God. We have a beautiful picture of a humble saviour. He's not born in a royal palace, let alone in a house. But his announcement and arrival shows his royalty, his majesty and power. It's an angel, a host of angels praising his arrival. But he's born into where there are some shepherds to come and have a look. A mom, a dad, no fanfare, no paparazzi, no one Instagramming the pictures up. He's born, he's come in. It's a humble picture of the king of the universe. This Jesus is born and the angels come in and say, glory to the God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. On one hand, you have John the Baptist who's born with a purpose to prepare the way. 
On the other hand, you have the purpose of Jesus, where we hear his mission. Verse 13. This idea of peace. Now, this idea of peace is actually connected in both chapters. You can read about it in the previous chapter, in verse 79, where it talks about, in darkness, shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Those two words are the same words. It begins this idea that God is bringing out of worship that Jesus' arrival ushers in a peace to those who he's well pleased with. To show that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah. And so the shepherds are told, go, go find it. Not only that, to say, look, this, this reality is true. It's reliable. This theme of reliability is throughout the Gospel of Luke. Because we heard it in chapter 1, reliable account. And so we're told, and so the, uh, the, the um, shepherds head off. They go and find out if it's true, and they find out it's true, as it's said. With haste, it's a, it's a language of they ran there, they found Mary and Joseph, baby lying in a manger, and they saw it. And they shared what had been told to them by these angels. And you have this response coming up. One is the mum, Mary. She's got Jesus, the Messiah. And her response is interesting in verse 19. She says, she's mulling it over, if you want to use our day of language. She's pondering, she's mulling it over, these truths. And then you have the shepherds who are back glorifying God. There are these two responses. One is of an immediate response. One is hearing and seeing and sort of chewing it over. Friends, I don't know what your view of Jesus is, especially if you're listening into this recording. I don't know what you think about Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus' birth is not just sort of some ordinary birth. Don't play it down in the majesty, but also the humility in it. But it's also a birth that was promised. It's been foretold. It's also this ushering in this wonderful beauty of this good news that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Lord. And the arrival has been ushered in. Everyone's been waiting. But it also ushers in a new peace. Now, for the people of the time, this idea of living under occupation, this idea of peace would have been a challenging thing. They're thinking there's going to be a physical uh, ruler coming in, kick the Romans out, bringing in the peace. But this peace is actually a peace to our soul. This is the peace that Jesus is ushering in to all those who are well-pleased, that he's pleased with. We have two stories of both people born with a purpose. On one, you have John, who is to prepare the way. That's his purpose. But then we also have Jesus, the Messiah. His purpose for coming to this world is to bring peace. And like at that time, we also have an option to respond. One, some of you are like the shepherds. You need to go and seek. You need to ask those questions. Go and see if it's true. Some of us are still pondering and thinking through these things. But some of us are like Mary. We're pondering in our hearts and the weight of this is really capturing us. And some of us, when we reflect on this again, it's glorifying God. Where are you when you think about this in your picture? Now, brothers and sisters, if you are followers of Jesus... Let's be honest, you've heard this story before, haven't you? You probably sing about it at Christmas. You probably sing about it during the week, I don't know. 
It's like when you go to the shops that say for our Woolworths or Coles and they pray the carols during Christmas time. As you're doing the shopping, first time you notice it, a couple of times it sort of blends away into a distant noise. It doesn't really stir your heart anymore. Friends, if you know Jesus, have you lost the wonder and amazement to the length that God went to to come to this world to save you and me? Has it just become information or has it become information for those people out there who don't know Jesus? The majesty and the breath that God went to save you should still capture your hearts no matter how long you've been following Jesus. Because Jesus has brought peace to a restless heart. Are you treasuring this? Is that still cause your heart to worship? Because this is the length that God went to. Because, friends, we're all called to follow the one who came to rescue us. Because we do live in a world who's still dark, desperately dark. They still need a Savior to come and shine light into this darkness. But now, when we begin a relationship with Jesus, he redefines everything and he gives us purpose in our lives. We don't just exist now. It changes everything So what does that mean for us? Well, some things to consider. One, we serve a God who keeps his promises. And why is that important? We can trust in that. The reason why we can trust in that is that these things, like Theophilus, is to say God is trustworthy, Theophilus. So we too have to trust in the one who keeps his promises. And we've seen that displayed on Jesus. Did you know that if you know Jesus, that you have been called now with a new purpose in life? That you too and I have been given this idea of peace because we found peace in our hearts and now we have to go and share with everyone that we come in contact with through our life, through our words, through our, our thoughts, actions and everything. Do you know what this means? That if you are a mum, you're not just a mum. If you're a follower of Jesus... You're a follower of Jesus first, then you're a mum, and you've been given a purpose to share the love of Christ to your kids and everyone else around you. This means that if you're a sparky or a chippy or a plumber, that you're not just working to pay the, the bills or feed for your family. Now you've, as a follower of Jesus, you've been given a purpose that now you represent him in your workforce. That everything that you do should say, hey, there's something different about that person. They represent Jesus. This means that if you're a student, that you've been given a purpose. You're not just there to study. Yes, do well in your studies. You've been given a new purpose, that you represent God in your field of study. You represent Jesus with your classmates in the university. You've been given a purpose. This means that if you're retired that you are not just retiring and just waiting for the ships to sail. You're there to represent Jesus in this season of life, wherever God has you. And in light of that, we are called to go. That's the purpose that we've all been given, no matter what life stage you're in, if you're a follower of Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, can I encourage you? Keep investigating. Keep asking those questions. Grab a Bible. Grab the uncover thing and, and unpack for yourself. Maybe some of you this morning, things have clicked. You've been investigating Jesus. And you've come to realize this is true. 
Can I encourage you to pray, ask forgiveness, believe and surrender to the one who loves you? Because following Jesus comes with a purpose, but also comes at high cost, but it's nothing like the cost that Jesus went to on our behalf. Friends, Jesus was born for a purpose, to be a Messiah and Lord. And as followers of Jesus, you and I have been born with a purpose, to live a life glorifying and praising God, to live, love and share wherever God's placed you. So that's what it means. That's what it means. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and we're going to sing and then I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. I thank you for this new purpose that you've given us. Thank you for the length that you went to to save us. And Jesus, I pray in light of that, help us to change each day for you and to live for you wherever you've placed us, to be people with a purpose for your glory in your name. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are our wonderful saviour. Lord, I pray for those of us who have forgotten about our purpose and why we're here. Remind us again afresh this morning. For those of us who are seeking to find purpose in life, reveal yourself to us, Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that we will be a church that are on mission to continue to proclaim this good news. It's the good news of this peace that you bring through your life, death, and the promise of your, the reality of your resurrection. But we know you're coming back again, and we know that when you return, Jesus, there's no second chance. So grant us grace to be faithful now to proclaim this truth. In your name, amen.